While the overwhelming majority of hospital visits in Canada go as expected, there are still thousands of errors every year that in some cases can have lasting or even deadly consequences for patients. And while there are estimates, the true scale of medical errors is unknown. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post health reporter Sharon Kirkey joins me to discuss what kinds of errors we're seeing in hospitals, why issues in the healthcare system could be contributing to the problem, and what recourse patients have. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, or tell your friends about the show. So Sharon, when we think about Canadian healthcare, there's kind of a very simple value proposition here. You know, when you go to a hospital, you expect that in Canada, you're going to receive quality care and things are going to go as expected. And for the most part, that's what happens. Like when you look at the the bare numbers of Canada's healthcare system, how often are things going as they're supposed to? Well, you know, overall, more often than not, I mean, hospitals are generally safe, right? People... People who work in hospitals in Canada are among the best trained in the world. And, and they're working under, you know, really extraordinarily stressful conditions right now. They, they haven't really recovered from the, the walloping COVID did in, in terms of, you know, staffing shortages and, and turnovers and dealing with these really massive surgical backlogs. So, the system is really struggling and, and problems like ER closures and, and emergency wait times, you know, they really haven't been addressed since last fall. So, so the hospitals are still really digging out from COVID. But, but, you know, as I mentioned, in, in most times when you do go into hospital, you do get quality care, you do get safe care. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that in 100% of cases, that's what happens. And when we look at the other side of the equation, when things don't go as hoped, how many incidents are we talking about? Or at least what's the estimate? Yeah, I mean, all we really do have to go on are estimates because there's very, very little public reporting. And, you know, not all incidents of harm are, are captured. You know, CAIHI, um, the Canadian Institute for Health Information, they estimate that, you know, one in 17 hospital stays, someone is unintentionally harmed, meaning a harm occurred that was potentially preventable. But but that's a really vast, vast underestimate because the CAIHI data doesn't capture harm, you know, that isn't recorded on a patient's chart. So, you know, a patient experiences a, a laceration or a puncture during surgery, but it was fixed. And so it's not recorded, right? Or someone develops a preventable infection from a joint replacement after she's sent home from hospital. Again, it's not recorded because this person is now discharged or the wrong, you know, the wrong medication was given, but thankfully there was no adverse event, you know, no adverse reaction. Again, maybe not recorded or, you know, the medication mix up didn't even reach the patient, right? It's a near miss. We, oops, we nearly missed catching that. So it's hard to get a handle on, on really the true scale of the problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned a, a few errors and some of them may not be recorded because as you say, like they were near miss or they were fixed during surgery. But what kind of medical errors are we talking about here that are being recorded? Is it medication errors? Is it, you know, dosing errors? Is it a misdiagnosis of a condition? Is it an infection? Is it an error during surgery? Like what what's the spectrum of, of medication errors, medical errors that we're seeing in Canadian hospitals? Well, you know, misdiagnoses aren't 
generally counted by Kaihai. For example, a person goes to emergency complaining of dizziness, they're, they're sent home after being diagnosed with vertigo, and then they suffer you know, a massive stroke that if it doesn't kill them, it changes their lives forever. And that has happened. But that's not counted as a preventable harm in hospital because the person was never really ever admitted to hospital, right? So, you know, on the other hand, hospital-acquired infections like C. difficile or urinary tract infections, they are included in the hospital harm data. Uh, so are those medical errors, you know, wrong drug, uh, wrong dose, wrong patient, or, or the drug is given the wrong way. Surgical mistakes are also counted, and they account for, you know, a pretty substantial proportion of hospital harms. Mm-hmm. And when we look at errors, you know, sometimes there are things that you couldn't have predicted would go wrong. And so there's, a, there, I guess, unseen errors or unforeseen errors. When we look at medical errors in, in hospitals, are they considered preventable? Are there some that are, are errors that, as as I said, you just couldn't have foreseen happening? Yeah, not all the errors for sure are preventable, right? So there was this famous report published back in 2004 that's known as the Baker-Norton Report. And that was really the first paper to put the whole issue of, of patient safety you know, in the national spotlight. And that report estimated that just over a third of errors in adult acute care hospitals are preventable. You know, preventable if the people had followed the proper protocols and, and checks and balances. So still a sub- substantial proportion of the harm that does occur, you know, is considered preventable harm. And one of the terms I saw in, in your recent feature about this issue was the, the term a never event. What is a never event and, and how often are they happening in hospitals? Well, a never event is just that, right? It's an event or harm that should never happen under any circumstances. Uh, there's a list of 15 that have been identified by different patient groups and healthcare associations. So like leaving a sponge or clamps or, or other foreign objects inside a person's body during surgery or you know, transfusing someone with the wrong blood or operating on the wrong body part, you know, the left leg instead of the right, or or surgeries performed on the wrong patient because of a, a mislabeled biopsy sample. Um, so there's, as I said, 15 of these so-called never events that have been identified that, you know, unfortunately keep happening in, in essentially every jurisdiction in the country that's been looked at. And looking at the totality of, of medical errors in the Canadian hospital system, is there any kind of underlying cause? Is it just human error? You know, unlike other industries, there's a very human component to medicine and there are decisions made in sometimes very stressful circumstances? Are there systemic issues at play? Like overall, to give Canadians a sense of of what could be causing these errors, is there any one cause? You know, it's interesting because as you say, you know, medical care is inherently complex, right? And it's getting more and more complex. And, and you know, risk is is kind of an unavoidable part of care. But, but you know, errors are really rarely the fault of one person. Though, you know, that risk does increase if, say, you know, people are stressed, you know, they're distracted, they're exhausted, they're working on the back end of a double shift, um, they're working in understaffed units. But most often, though, the errors are really the result of a breakdown in the system, right? A lack, you know, breakdown in communication, a communication failure. So someone doesn't notice that the patient is getting 
you know, seriously sicker. That's known as, quote, failure to identify deteriorating patients. So they don't notice in time because the nurses are working short. You know, they can't monitor patients as, as, as often as they should. They're having trouble getting the attention of the, of the attending doctor. You know, sometimes the right information doesn't get passed along from nurses to doctors or vice versa, or when a you know, patient is moved from one area of the hospital to the next. You know, there are some protocols, right, that have been developed to, to reduce errors, to sort of tackle those systemic issues. So they have what are called surgical safety checklists, where, you know, the surgical team confirms, okay, that's the right person on the OR table, you know, the correct site's been marked with a felt tip marker, and that, you know, after surgery, all the you know, sponges and swabs and sharps are counted to make sure none have been left inside the person's body. You know, and most hospitals have introduced these checklists, but, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily done well. And some surgeons think they're just a waste of time. They don't even bother with them. So, you know, and other people have found that bullying by senior staff or poor supervision of, you know, trainee surgeons, that contributes to surgical errors too. So, and so does pressure on teams to push the operations through, you know, especially now with this big backlog caused by pandemic shutdowns. But whatever the error, uh, you know, hospital harm has been described as really, you know, a symptom of a system that just isn't moving smoothly for whatever reason. We'll be right back. So looking at the aftermath of an error, what's done in hospitals in the wake of mistakes? Are there systems in place to investigate? How are those investigations reported? Is it just an internal investigation? Do the investigation get reported back to the patients? Are they widely reported? Is there a lack of transparency? Like I, I just, I'm just wondering if if you can give us a sense of of the process involved and whether we're getting a full picture. Yeah, I think that's a problem. We are getting a full picture because, you know, most provinces do have laws that, you know, mandate that serious errors be reported. So staff are expected to report them to their senior managers and hospitals, you know, the legislation kind of varies across Canada, but but generally hospitals are supposed to advise third parties, right? Like regional health authorities or, or government. And when there is a but they refer to as critical incident, you know, someone is seriously injured or killed, a a hospital review committee is supposed to investigate the error and learn from it. But there's very little public reporting. I mean, I reached out to Alberta twice to ask, you know, how are these incidents reviewed? You know, what findings are disclosed to patients or families? And, you know, crickets, no, no response. You know, Manitoba is one of the outliers, but, but even Manitoba publishes, you know, very brief kind of often one sentence synopsis of what happened. For example, you know, quote, a patient underwent an unnecessary surgical procedure and that's it, right? And, and families often say they were denied anything close to a really robust response about what happened. You know, they may be invited to speak to these review committees. They may not. They're certainly not privy to all of the conversations that happen in those committee meetings because those meetings are protected by privilege legislation, right? So the intent of the privilege legislation is to encourage staff to speak openly and honestly about what happened. And only the facts are supposed to be 
divulged to the family, but there's confusion about what facts need to be divulged, right? And there's concern that hospitals will sometimes go to really great lengths to to blame a bad outcome on the person's underlying condition. You know, for example, okay, the patient was old, he had heart failure, he had a number of chronic problems, and he would have died anyway, for example. You mentioned kind of the toll on families, and earlier you talked about one instance, you know, the, the kind of debilitating impact a, a stroke can have on somebody that, especially if it was misdiagnosed as, as something else. Looking at the human side of this, what kind of toll can these errors put on people's lives? Well, they can take a really dramatic toll. Um, you mentioned the misdiagnosed or the missed stroke, but, you know, preventable harms are really considered a, a significant cause of, of injury and premature death and disability. I spoke with a family of a Montreal woman who ended up a paraplegic after undergoing surgery for, you know, a relatively common problem, a leaky heart valve. I mean, I mean, heart surgery is never not a big deal, right? But, but how could anyone imagine losing the use of both legs? And the Baker Norton report in 2004, that report estimated, you know, up to about 23,000 people die from a potentially preventable adverse event in our hospitals each year. And, and Ross Baker, one of the authors of that report, told me just last week, he worries, you know, we really haven't moved the needle much since then. And when you look at the after effects of these errors and, and the effect that it can have on people's lives, are, are there avenues that patients can take to get recourse when they've been on the receiving end of these errors is it as simple as, you know, filing a malpractice case against a hospital, a health authority, or a doctor. What processes can people go through to try and get compensation or justice? Yeah. So Canada doesn't have a no-fault insurance system. And, and there are many people who would like that to change. But, you know, if, if families have the financial and emotional resources and wherewithal they they can sue but you know the the hospital and doctors insurance insurers will almost always go to the ends of the earth to defend against allegations of of negligence or malpractice you know it can take years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to pursue a lawsuit that that family in Montreal of the woman who ended up paraplegic who who died last year um, from an infection it took seven years for them to go through this court system. And in the end, you know, the, the presiding judge couldn't find fault with the surgeon. Um, and so they were left, you know, with nothing, no compensation at all. And one, you know, one Canadian paper said, I think it was fewer than 1% of injured patients, like, like 0.3% ever receive compensation. Um, you know, the Canadian Medical Protective Association, which, is this body that defends doctors accused of negligence? They'll they will settle, you know, if experts conclude that the the standard of care wasn't met and and that the failure harmed the patient. But you know, more often than not, the families aren't compensated. Of that kind of small percentage of patients who manage to make it through to a settlement or to a decision in their favor, how much has been paid out? How many? How much have Canadians? been able to get from a system that's that's harmed them? Well, the total amount kind of varies, but the CMPA said it paid just over a billion dollars in patient compensation over the last five years, you know, on, on behalf of its members. So 
and I think it was two, another two billion over ten years, but but a billion over the last five years at least on patient compensation for people who were harmed. When it comes to patients' families, and when it comes to people who who study these kind of issues in hospitals. What is it that they would like to see to help the system improve? Is it just better reporting? I mean, obviously, we'd like to see errors not happen in the first place, but to to improve the system and to improve the reporting of errors and transparency, are there any suggestions that are being made? Yeah, I mean, it begins with encouraging people in the system to report the errors when they see them happening. There's a concern that, you know, A, people don't know that they are required to report them or they feel intimidated, you know, that they can't report them, especially if they're junior staff. Um, they worry about upsetting senior staff. So it begins with just, you know, better reporting within the hospitals. And then, you know, families would just like to have a more open and transparent process of when these harms occur. You know, how are they investigated? You know, patients and their families should be part of those hospital-based committees. Some people say hospitals should not be investigating themselves. We don't allow the airline industry to investigate themselves if a plane crashes. You know, most enterprises aren't capable of doing self-investigations and reporting, so that there should be really an independent third party that investigates these critical incidents. Um, And, you know, and in many cases, families would really just like an apology, you know, and, and that's rarely ever happens. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't reverse the harm, but it certainly helps, you know, in the healing and in, in the recovery. Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly a fascinating issue. Um, always happy to talk the healthcare system with you, Sharon. Thanks very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure, Dave. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Sharon Kirky. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.